Welcome back to Revolution in Ideology. I am Jared. I am Nick. And we are here today to talk about uh, the problem with uh, capitalism's hegemony and our reaction to it. When I say our, not just myself and Nick, but like all of our reactions to it. We were inspired by an article, actually, that one of my former students sent me. Uh, it's a Gawker article. I'll do a quick shout out. It was written by Claire Coffey um, in, what is that, August 12th, 2022. It is titled, The Failure to Cope Under Capitalism. The Inability to Do Basic tax Tasks is Not Always a Political Problem. Um, we're actually not going to spend a lot of time like nitpicking the article itself. Um, we actually don't know much about the writer, um, but we just wanted to give it a shout out um, because it did inspire us to start this conversation. Anything you want to add before we dig in, Nick? No, I think that's good. Like you said, the article kind of inspired us to want to have this conversation. I don't necessarily agree with all of their points that they yeah. made, but there's definitely a conversation to be had here for sure. Okay, so we're going to break down what we have assumed is the thesis. Some of the writing is a little bit unclear. If we, I said I wasn't going to critique, but here we are. It's, some of it wasn't, un, wasn't clear, so we're having to infer a little bit here. We believe the thesis that has inspired us to have this discussion is essentially that capitalism's hegemony is in fact a problem. That's undeniable. Uh, essentially from like us facing the climate crises to various social inequalities that are becoming more and more apparent to perpetual conflict, wars over resources, etc., to orchestrated market fluctuations. At this point, no one's under the illusion that there is really an invisible hand. We are being manipulated. Um, to labor exploitation. All of us feel exploited in our labor. Um, what else? To unseemingly unending layers of bureaucratic barriers and gatekeepers that are basically meant to inspire apathy within us. So many other things. Capitalism is problematic. That is undeniable. I'm literally killing the planet. However, however, we feel like the article was also arguing this cannot always be used as the excuse for inaction in one's personal life. Nor does this excuse inaction in terms of resistance. This part's a little bit of, of a stretch in terms of what we were reading in the article in terms of its rhetoric. It's mentioned a couple of times. But we do still think for our channel, a channel called Revolution and Ideology, it requires a little bit of attention here. Is there anything that you want to add to the assumed thesis of, of, of what we're after? Well, excuse me, what the writer was after that inspired us to want to talk about it? Nope. Okay, so let's start here. Let's, let's frame this right off the bat. What do social commentators in 2022 right now mean by things like the great resignation and quiet quitting and millennial and Generation Z apathy and so on and so forth? What, what, what do they mean, Nick? And there's definitely certain phenomena that are going on right now in, let's say, just in the United States, though I'm sure it's felt uh, other places globally, you know, Western Europe, etc. The great resignation is the fact that after COVID, I mean, during COVID, actually, there was a sharp decrease in the amount of people quitting their jobs. But after COVID, if we can even say after COVID, uh, there was a great increase in people resigning from their jobs. Now, there's all kinds of economic and social reasons for this, but that's the great resignation. Quiet quitting is an interesting phenomenon where, you know, people are starting to adopt a mindset of, you know, I'm basically done going above and beyond. I'm done killing myself or my job. I'm done internalizing, 
you know, my failures at work and all of the expectations that are thrust upon me. I'm just going to go into work. I'm going to show up on time and do the absolute minimum possible that's required of me at my job. And then I'm going to mentally check out and go home and live a productive life, right? That my job is just going to be a job. So that's quiet quitting. The fact that this is even called quitting is annoys me because it's clearly not quitting. It's just doing your job, which is what should be expected of workers. But, you know, clearly that term is uh, engineered for a very specific uh, purpose. But anyways, that's quiet quitting. Um, and then, of course, we have apathy. I don't know that that needs like any sort of definition, but like there is these accusations by generations above ours. Even we're 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 not necessarily Z ourselves, surprise audience, but um, even generations of ours of like all of the gener- subsequent generations that are all kind of like sharing now this 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 space, and of course the younger ones being lazy or unskilled and so on and so forth. Um, and then those that that idea being internalized and then like actually acted out. So. There's that, again, that's not necessarily us saying that, but it's what social commentators seem to think. Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, I want to reiterate and be 100% clear and capitalism is problematic for all of these reasons. Um, but again, the article is saying that the fact that capitalism is the problem here, it can't always be used an excuse for one's personal problems is like the real thing. Why one, I mean, it's even in, um, um, basically like the subtitle of the article, the inability to do basic taps tasks is not always a political problem. So that's what we're after. Are these critiques, um, that kind of frame this conversation even new? Well, of course they're not new. I mean, basically since the onset of, or of the industrial revolution, when capitalism kind of took off and became capitalism moving from its like mercantilist origins, People have been critiquing it. There is no more famous critique than, of course, the critique of alienation, which comes to us in the mid-19th century from a very famous guy some of our audience may have heard of. It's called He's called Karl Marx. We're actually not going to do a lot of celebration of Karl Marx right now for, for, for any real reason. I just want Nick to talk about alienation. I mean, we have a whole episode on Marx's concept of alienation, so you guys can watch that if you want details there. But the fact that I mean, I commented, Jared and I were going back and forth in a document commenting on this. And one of my notes was like, I don't understand how Marx's alienation, these theories aren't more popular right now, like right this second, because it so perfectly describes what's going on and how capitalism as an economic system creates alienation within and among the people that exist within it. Um, And I'm not going to go into details, like Jared said, we have a whole episode on that, but just, I mean, and it's not even a lot, right? You can read 10 pages of Marx and get the basic gist. Um, So we'll post, you know, resources, links to that in the description. But this isn't new, right? Marx was writing this stuff in the 1800s. When capitalism was still a fresh baby, it was just being born, right? And it wasn't nearly even as exploitative and and, hegemonic as it is now. It wasn't. He's making these. And we're not even like, well, me personally, I'm not even the biggest Marxist fan, Marx fan. But like this critique, this critique laid out a pretty good groundwork, uh, you know, a century and a half ago. So again, this isn't new. Like these, these critiques are not new. Second critique that we want to already, again, kind of like give a nod to, we also have an entire standalone episode on this. It is the historical idealist argument coming from Max Weber in his critique, The Spirit of Capitalism, where essentially capitalism takes on pseudo-religious or geist-like properties. Um, Anything that you want to add there in terms of like 
producing Protestant work ethics and things along those lines, Nick. I mean, this is the explanation for exactly why you internalize the expectations that is given to you by your workplace. I mean, you need to look no further than Max Weber and his book, you know, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. He explains exactly how capitalism became our new religion and that your value, how you value yourself and other people is based on the capitalist mode of production. Weber laid that out in the what, 1905 or something. I don't know. I don't remember when the book was published, but it's got to be around that time. And there was a part of the article that like, kind of like there were, they were making an argument. Um, Claire Coffey was making an argument about something like, this is why I always feel like I'm behind, or this is why I feel like I'm never working hard enough or whatever. It's capitalism's fault. And yes, they did. We're not even disagreeing with that. We're just saying Weber said it a long time ago. Again, this isn't meant to critique the writer, but I also like there is this part of us that says like, okay, so you're just kind of repeating things that have already been said, uh, I guess, in more modern terms, which is nice, but like that never really, we never really are getting over a hump by doing this. And again, well, yeah, this is, and that's one of my critiques of the critique of capitalism now right? Let's call it the 21st century critique of capitalism, not by scholars, clearly, but by the general populace, right? Is just that it lacks depth, mm-hmm. right? And I sure. think the problem is that critiquing capitalism has become so popular, become so pervasive, right? Like I just now, when you and I were talking, called it like pop anti-capitalism, mm-hmm. that it's lost a lot of its depth and a lot yeah. of its true like, and meaning and, and teeth, exactly. Because, you know, I mean, we have like, you know, Teen Vogue writing anti-capitalist articles and stuff, which is fine. I'm, I'm all for that. I support it. But as a result, we're lacking the original depth that the original scholars, right, these criti- critics had, like the Webers and the Marxes. And the, I mean, there, there's countless others, right? A lot of the anarchists. Um, so a lot of us nowadays can, you know, sort of spew the general anti-capitalist argument but we're lacking any real meaning, any real depth, and as a result, any real sort of social critique in our arguments, right? So I can say, well, you know, I'm so exhausted because of capitalism, and that may very well be true, but if we don't ever, you know, elevate our discourse beyond that, then we don't really have any path, anything, any actionable items on what to do as a result. I will say that I'm not the elitist that will sit here and tell you, like, if you haven't read Capital in its entirety, don't talk to me. Like, that's absolutely not the case. I don't think that, you know, that's necessary. But there has to be some kind of middle ground between, like, I read a Teen Vogue article and I read everything Karl Marx has ever written, right? We need some kind of depth, especially in a time when there is so much material available in this regard, right? So many economists, so many YouTube channels, so many Netflix shows. I mean, the critique of capitalism is everywhere. You don't have to read Marx to get some depth there. There are so many just easily digestible resources. Yep. Okay. So the next concept that we want to kind of introduce that kind of like builds us towards what's being discussed here in in some is this idea of narcotizing dysfunction. Um, Go ahead. Again, I'll bring in it's a sociological concept. We'll have Nick, the sociologist, break down narcotizing dysfunction in terms of like critiquing what's going on. I mean, we actually have an entire episode on this too, so I I encourage you to check that out. But narcotizing dysfunction is this idea that the media, and this was written in 1948, so they were talking about, you know, newspapers and the very beginnings of television, and I mean, like, well before social media and Netflix and Disney Plus and like, you know, everything that we're just inundated with 
on a daily basis with these computers in our pockets. But the idea is that, you know, media exists, functions to inform the general public, like that's its main function. But we end up getting inundated with so much information that it ends up having a narcotizing effect, where instead of driving us to action, we end up replacing knowledge with action. We never actually take any action ourselves. We substitute being informed for action. So we end up just doing nothing but consuming media. And we view the consumption of media as action in itself. So we sort of let ourselves off the hook and say, wow, you know, I've done so much. I know about all of these things, but we forget that knowledge doesn't actually equal action. And again, the premise of the article here is critiquing that capital, again, it is saying capitalism is a problem, but it can't be used as like always an excuse for personal inaction like that. Mm-hmm. that that's a problem. So this is where narcotizing dysfunction comes in. Um, I like what you said, because it kind of leads me into the next like major point critiquing, of course, the system itself. And that is Desmond's Mor- Desmond Morris in the human zoo talking about their survival substitute and um, and how that active activates within the stimulus struggle. Long story short, there's this idea that he lays out where um, in these modern economies, essentially we are given things that are meant to be surrogates or substitutes for our actual, like uh, from our human origins, our need to survive, whatever that meant, fishing, hunting, uh, growing crops, whatever it is. We no longer get to do those things. And so we feel less in control of our own lives. And so Instead, capitalism, and it's not just capitalism, there's a bunch of isms that led into capitalism that also started this process. But long story short, capitalism has perfected substituting all of these activities that make us feel like we're engaged in actually doing things. And all of them are now just substitutes or surrogates for actually doing things, which can also, of course, be a little bit exhausting. And and the surrogacy, oftentimes, especially in capitalism, especially in the information age, actually leads to even though we're doing things, we're not actually accomplishing anything. Like we're actually not doing like filling out an Excel spreadsheet actually is not, I mean, it's not, it's a substitute. It's not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and doing a lot of nothing at some point, our brain does register. Like this is all nonsense. These are surrogates. They're not actual actions that could lead to, of course, apathy and resignation and things along those lines, those types of things. So anyway, Finally, the other one that we want to dig into is um, the idea of one dimensionality. Of course, this comes from Marcuse. We don't just have one episode on it. I think we have four, um, again, standalone episodes. But I do want to have Nick kind of like tie a nice little bow around one dimensionality. I mean, the general idea is, I mean, it's, it's deep. There's a lot there. But the general idea is that we have become completely one dimensional, that capitalism as an ideology is so pervasive that there is no alternate way of thinking at this point, that even our anti-capitalist ideologies function to serve the capitalist system. There is no true anti, there is no viewing capitalism from the outside, that that is gone as a result. We are completely one-dimensional. Okay, so we've got these critiques. This is just a handful, again, a handful that we both personally enjoy or else we wouldn't have made standalone episodes on them in the past, but let's keep moving here. The moral of the story is critique of the system has been, there's a very rich history of it. However, however, that's not necessarily the writer of this article who inspired our, our, our commentary here. That's not necessarily their point. Their point is, does like, can we continue to use the inadequacies and problems and all of the hor- horrific parts? And I'm using that word intentionally, horrific parts of a capitalist system and ideology. Can we really use that? 
as an excuse for personal inaction. That's like their main point for why, and Nick used this example, you can't make it to an appointment on time because capitalism kicked your ass today or whatever it might be. Can we really do that? Is the political really personal? And though Marx and Weber and Morris and Marcuse and whoever else I'm skipping over that we just talked about um, do touch upon personal effects of the system. I mean, I think Marcuse might do the best job of that, but regard, maybe Morris. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's still this idea that the political is personal. And at some point, I think what our author here is saying is that like, no, at some point, the personal is just on you. Like at some point, you just have to do. You just have to do. What do you think of that? I have a quote. We're trying intentionally not to read long quotes from this article because I know it's not entertaining, but I'm just going to read this one sentence and it is quote but this is not the condition of life under capitalism this is life itself and it is a sad irony that though the fear of life may be produced by class imperatives within capitalism the impulse to restrict it to a problem of capitalism is itself a part of the same fearful rejection of the task of living so basically the argument is you know a lot of these struggles that we blame on capitalism isn't actually just a result of capitalism it's just a result of living human life right? Human life in the history of humanity has never been comfortable. It's never been without struggle. It's never been without conflict. It's never been without doing things that you didn't want to do, right? All of these things, I'm not going to say they're part of human nature, because if you listen to this, our episodes, you know my opinion on the human nature argument. But as long as humans have existed, life has been a struggle, a struggle with each other, a struggle with the environment, uh, and so forth, right? We've had to fight for our existence. So we can't just always say, you know, yeah, I really don't feel like going to my appointment. I'm really tired today. I, you know, whatever we're having, they can't always be blamed on capitalism. At some point we have to say like, yeah, this might be exacerbated by capitalism or it might take this very specific, you know, characteristics as a result of capitalism, but life is a struggle regardless, right? Even if we weren't in a capitalist society, life would still be a struggle. Even if we were in a communist society, even if we achieved some anarchist utopia, there still is going to be some type of struggle and conflict within our lives, right? And so we need to understand that. However, I will say that we need a critique of the status quo at all times, right? So we can't abandon, the point here isn't to abandon the critique of capitalism, right? I think that we probably need to go deeper there But the point is that at some point we have to be willing to just say, you know what? Yeah, capitalism sucks, but I am going to go to my appointment or I am, you know, whatever uh, we're talking about. At some point we have to, there has to be some level of personal responsibility. And most importantly, I think for me is that the response cannot be to just do nothing. That's probably like the worst case scenario, right? Once you begin to educate yourself and become informed on the critiques of capitalism and all the ways that the economic system is exploitative and is designed to just crush your soul, for lack of a better term, the worst thing is like, I just can't go on, right? I I absolutely am just going to do nothing. That's worst case scenario, right? I mean, I don't know. I guess worst case scenario might be just being a devout absolute capitalist, but uh, worst case scenario, in my opinion, becoming the parasite, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. What you, yeah, like I, yeah. If you can't beat them, join them, kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. which of course plays right into the hands of capitalists. But so does apathy, right? Just saying, I need this 
I hate to be this guy because I'm not, I actually love self-care, but like if you're doing it all the time, like if you're excusing all of your behavior as self-care for why you're not getting shit done, whatever that, whatever that is that you need to get done, why, if you're using it, the excuse of like self-care, I need to watch Netflix all day, all night, and then miss my appointments or not go to class or not go to work or whatever, all of these types of things, right? Like that's you just playing right into the hands of the capitalists because you become more dependent upon their systems. Right. Um, that's, that's the worst case scenario I think is yeah. like you just explained, right? Because it's the commodification of apathy and self-care, yes. right? That's yes. exactly what capitalism wants you to do is to say, wow, the system sucks. I've internalized this. I judge myself based on the metrics of the capitalist metrics. And as a result, I feel terrible. So I need to do something to make myself feel better. And if doing those things are is consuming, which I would argue that 90% of it is, right? Even if it's like we talk about all the time, we use the example of like, I'm just going to go hiking in the mountains. Well, first, you need your trekking poles and you need your hiking boots and you need your tent and you, need, you have to buy all these things. You need your national park pass and you need, right? Like all of these things you need to consume just in order to like disconnect. Right. Not to mention this, the whole commodification of like, you know, the mindfulness industry. And I mean, we can go on forever. Right. We make the yeah. comment in class all of the time that this is the most drug society in human mm -hmm. history. Right. Like and I'm, we're not just talking about hard drugs, although hard drugs are there. We're talking about everything from like caffeine to nicotine to THC to like th these are things that people like the average population now requires to get through their day. And that's fine. We're not judging. We're both guilty of consuming some of these. But here's the thing that is it's we're consuming them. It's consumption that's playing into the hands of capitalists. Like, oh my God, you know, marijuana is legal in states X, Y, and Z. And like, yes, but it's now big business. Like it, it's, it's playing into the system. Well, it's funny, like, right? Like I got to pick up my coffee on the way to work. Otherwise I can't function. Well, you're consuming, you're taking part in the capitalist system to consume the coffee. And then you also are doing it so that you can be more effective while you're participating in the capitalist system, right? I mean, there's no escaping it. It's like, oh, I'm going to get high and go to work. Well, like you bought the weed from somewhere and I don't care if you got it from your friend, somewhere in the system that is, has been commodified and you've played into the system and then you're going to go to work and function within the system. Now, I'm so not going to say like, there's no ethical consumption of capitalism, right? That's just a nonsense, meaningless argument, right? even though it might be true but it doesn't really provide us with any, any actionable items. Right. But at some point we really have to like, you're playing into the system so that you can better participate in the system. And we really have to question our actions. And I'm using R not in the proverbial sense, Jared and I are just as guilty of all of these things. It's impossible not to be. And I think that's one important point. But, but here's the caveat. The, the, the inspiration for this is that, that the author of this specific article, again, Claire, Claire Coffey is saying that you're talking about things that actually help you participate in the system. Their critique is not participating in the system and using capitalism's hegemonic properties as the excuse for that. The excusing of laziness and, and again, the word we've used a few times, apathy and resignation and things like, and that's part of it um, that I think that we're we haven't really, what do you think of that? I guess we haven't really commentated on that. I mean, our people, here's, here's what I'll say. I'll just flat out say it. And I, I don't, it's fine. Our individuals just being lazy and then using capitalism as the excuse, the overwhelming shittiness of capitalism as the excuse as to why they're not, why they're lazy, both within their personal lives, as well as trying to change capitalism into something better. What do you think?
Because I, I, I mean, that, yeah, hundred percent that, that happens. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent that happens. Obviously, is that the majority of people? I have no idea how to quantify that. Right? Like, I don't know. Does that yeah. happen? Yes. Is it an epidemic? I I don't know. I don't really think so. I don't. I haven't seen that happening like anecdotally too much. You know what I mean? Like, the problem is that it's become cliche at this point, right? Like, dude, why didn't you go to your appointment yesterday? Ah, oh, capitalism, right? Well, are they really, do they really believe that? Or are they just like using the meme, right? Type thing. Like, I don't well, bear, know. Bear in mind, like that, that's not even, that's, that's, that's like, that's not even a, like a real example that, that Nick was mm-hmm. using. We get that no one would say, why didn't you get to class today? Or why didn't you go to your appointment? And no one just flat out says capitalism, but they will. Oh, I am using that as a real example. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, totally. People would just say capitalism. Oh yeah, for sure. I don't think that's what, Okay. All right. Well, that's new to me. I think people would say something like, well, I had this and this and this, and it's, I'm so exhausted. I'm overworked. And I, and, and, and infer that it's the system's problem. And I don't think that's what Claire Coffey is arguing either. I think she's saying that it is the anti-capitalist. literal. Yes. That is a thing. People are literally failing Mm -hmm. in different aspects of life and saying, okay, all right. I guess I, I mean, it has to be right. Otherwise it's not political because if you're excuses back and start this thing over now, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if your excuse is like, yeah, I'm just really tired and like, I'm so worn out and like, those are all effects of capitalism. You're still blaming yourself, right? So that wouldn't qualify. Their yeah. argument here, the author's argument is that there, it's actually the capitalist critique that yeah. they are using as an excuse to, for their personal as to why they don't want to join the labor force um, and work in, you know, lower level things and pull themselves up by bootstraps, which is, mm-hmm. we, we're not even going to get into the critique of, of the right here. It's not, it's not necessary, but like, mm-hmm. okay. I mean, I see it. All right, let's, let's move forward. Okay. So I want your thoughts on like this last point that is only mildly inferred in different parts of like, again, this, this jumping off point, um, this article as the jumping off point. It's mildly inferred, I think a little bit in the intro and maybe a little bit in the conclusion. The fact that is capitalism so hegemonic and exhausting and are we now, or since it is, it's not, I'm not asking you, it is, since it is those things. Are we now just using that as an excuse as to why I uh, I don't want to make any sort of social change? I don't want to aim for whatever my perfect vision of vision of tomorrow is. I don't want to fix it and go into and, I, and we're not even being prescriptive here. Whatever your vision of tomorrow is, if you're an anarchist, a socialist, a communist, or there's some cool new ideology that we don't know about yet, whatever it is, whatever is next, we're never going to get there because we're now using capitalism as like the excuse. It's too much. It's too much. We can't do it. I mean, just like my last comment, yes, a hundred percent that happens. Is that everyone? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's why everyone that is informed and knowledgeable about the critiques of capitalism that isn't doing something to change it. Do they, are they not doing something to change it because they believe that capitalism is just so overwhelming that there is no chance for them to succeed does that happen? Absolutely. Is that the majority of people? I have no idea, but I can tell you that happens because I feel like that oftentimes. And that, you know, like if you listen to this channel at all, you know, that our perspectives on capitalism and revolution. And I find myself at times completely discouraged by like, this is just never going to happen. I mean, until like some kind of absolute catastrophe, this isn't going to change. Right. So why do anything? Sometimes I feel like that. Right. Now, is that the majority of everyone? No. And even for myself, it ebbs and flows, right? Like, clearly, we both are guilty of that. 
I don't think that everyone is like not doing something because capitalism is just so overwhelming, but maybe that, maybe that's true. And that they would be, you know, in my opinion, forgiven for adopting that position. Okay. Well, let's, let's kind of wrap this up again. This was again, extremely short article and it wasn't even meant to be like super critical of like the article or the author or anything along those lines. It was sent to us um, by a former student slash viewer listener thought it was interesting, kind of wanted our thoughts on it. So we decided to provide them. Um, and again, going back to the thesis, like, I don't know that we have a, like a firm, yes, no, we agree. We disagree with what was kind of proposed here. I mean, well, I, there is one part we all agree with. I think uh, capitalism is overwhelming and it is a massive problem that is destroying the planet and creates social inequality and perpetual conflict and market fluctuation and exploitation. It does all of those, th those things. But because it does all of those things, does that excuse inaction in one's personal life? That's the debate. I don't know that we settled it here. Uh, I don't know that any one person can settle it, but it is an interesting question. And it's something that maybe in the comments, we'd like to hear from you. Can, can you excuse if you are, if you're not doing a lot in your own personal life, whether it is pro-capitalist or anti-capitalist, are we using like the overwhelming nature of where we're at as an excuse to just like not do much? Thoughts? Nick, I'd say take us out. Well, I will say that I think well, that... Don't take us out yet. <laughs> I think that we have to be careful when we use the argument that I think the, the author is using that we need to blame ourselves more, right? That it can't always be political. At some point, you have to take personal responsibility for your behavior. Do I agree with that statement as a blanket statement? For sure. However, we have to be aware that once, as soon as we do that, then we start to look for ways to alleviate, right? The way that that makes us feel because it doesn't make you feel good once you start internalizing and accepting responsibility for your behavior, especially if it's poor behavior, you're doing things you don't want to be doing. You'd rather be doing something else, right? And then we start seeking things out, right? We start thinking out, seeking out, like you said, drugs, therapy, you know, self-help books and mindfulness apps and like all of these things. We have to be sure that we're not playing just more deeply into the hands of the capitalist system by internalizing our own behaviors. I think that's the real danger that we have to be aware of. So anytime anyone is like, oh, my God, just like do your thing, take responsibility and just do it like it's you. You are the problem. Maybe that's true. But we can't just have blanket statements that say, you know, what? it's not capitalism. You're all just lazy. You're all just apathetic. You have to just wake up like Jared said earlier pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go to work and, you know, go to your appointments and do the thing, do whatever you need to do to like get your head straight. Like there's real danger, I think, in that critique as well, because you very, very easily end up just playing into the hands of the capitalist by going down that path uh, if it's unchecked also. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to consider supporting us on Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash revolution and ideology. I am Nick. I'm Jared. Later.